So God, we are just so grateful to be able to sing songs to you, to reflect on who you are, and just to say um, the direction of our heart is, is we believe there's nothing better than you. The first commandment of there's no other God before you, beside you. They're all beneath you. And yet our lives, we, we struggle to dethrone you and enthrone things above you. But we say with the psalmist, there's nothing better than you. Your love is better than life. And today on this weekend where we celebrate our country's independence, we just desire freedom in our own lives as well, just spiritually and mentally and relationally. And today as we look at a passage of scripture, um, we just we want to make space, not just in our schedule, um, wherever we are on this holiday weekend, but we want to make space in our heart to be open to what you want to say to us. Because I, I believe there's a lot of people who desperately need to hear this word from you today. So do what you do. Um, just come into the recesses of our heart and just sort of shine a light on things and um, make us aware of what's preventing us from experiencing a life to the full. And, uh, and I just trust that your spirit will use your word, um, which is the sword of the spirit, to, to pierce us through and to awaken us to your life and your love. Uh, we invite you uh, to come and be with us wherever we are um, and to have your way with us and to speak clearly into our heart. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I just, I'm grateful that you're tuning in wherever you are on this holiday weekend. Um, it sort of takes me back to the COVID days when this is what we were doing, I think, for 13 weeks. And I uh, felt like it was just another great weekend rather than trying to, you know, work against the current of what's happening in culture. Just making sure we join you where you're at because the church is not a building and it's not a service. We love to gather, but we always want to cement into place um, the true theology of the church is that wherever we are, we are the church. And the church isn't a person. The church is a people, and the people aren't gathered today. They're scattered all over the place. And hopefully, wherever you are, this will just sort of be an encouragement to awaken you to God is with you where you are, and God wants you and your sphere of influence with friends and families to live out the kingdom there. And hopefully, this will kind of uh, be a great you know, reminder to you and that your conscience, instead of being seared um, and your heart sort of cauterized, that it will awaken you and your senses to, God, how, how do you want me to live this weekend um, as we celebrate freedom in our country, this, this country that I love with all my heart? Uh, so God put something on my heart, and I felt this a few weeks back, um, and I knew this weekend was coming. And I, I want to have more of a conversation with you. It, it's pretty personal to me, something I've been walking through the last few weeks um, as it relates to boldness, but as it relates to temptation 
um, and sin and how all of those things are vying and crying for my attention simultaneously, how they work against each other. Uh, I've noticed a lot of people have a whole lot of zeal and interest in being more confident, being less insecure, being more bold and less fearful. But I think we want to do that without doing some of the hard work of excavating uh, out some things in our life that are preventing and, and obstructing that journey toward boldness. Uh, we've been in a series called Bold Moves, if this is the first time you're tuning in, and it's been powerful the last several weeks. I, our church has literally grown by 300 people in three weeks. And I think there is this appeal and attraction to boldness when we've been sort of living scared, uh, living pretty, you know, sheepish, um, and we've felt ourselves suppressed and silenced and isolated. I think there is a sort of resurgence of, God, I, I want to be bold. And the problem with that is, is we can sort of blow by some real transformation that has to take take place more at the footers and foundation of our life or we're going to be building superstructures without the proper infrastructure to make it cohesive and to cause it to hold together and sustain in the weeks to come a verse came to my mind that had the word boldness in it it's one of my favorite verses but it actually in in a metaphor um 3000 years ago it was being used as an analogy to, to explain, you know, probably mental illness to some degree. Um, the, a psychological hitch inside that's preventing some people from living a bold life. And it's found in Proverbs 28.1. And it says, The wicked man flees though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Another translation says, The guilty man runs when no one is chasing after him, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's something about that culture when they looked around at nature, they noticed that lions didn't, you know, recoil. They weren't backpedaling. There was a way that they lifted their head up and ran toward things. And they were like, there's a boldness there that we can sense in the lion. And there's righteous people, those, those people who do good and do right, rather than whatever feels good or whatever feels right, they actually do good and do right, regardless of feeling. We've noticed they, they enter life with more confidence. They don't have that sort of hangdog expression of, of guilt or skittishness. Another way of saying this is like when you have sin in your life, there's a skittish way that you live and you don't even know it's happening. This idea of the, the guilty man runs or the wicked man flees when no one's pursuing is like, I feel like I'm being chased. I feel like I'm running from something, and yet when I turn it and look around me, I'm skittish because I feel hesitant and I feel scared like a saber-toothed tiger's after me. I can't get a settled feeling. I don't feel rest and contentment in my soul. 
and I feel like I'm being chased and I feel like I'm chasing. I feel like I'm being deceived and I feel like I'm deceiving and it's screwing up my mind. I don't know if you've ever met a person that when you're with them, they're just not comfortable in your skin and you want to just look at them and grab them by the shoulders and say, it's okay. I, I don't know what is chasing you in your mind, but I'm here to tell you it isn't me. You can relax. You can be yourself, but there's something inside of them. And this is why I think it dabbles in the psychological effects of sin. That, that we were created by God, and when we aren't living in alignment with His plan, we think we can figure out a way to have our cake and eat it too, to, to sort of live with sin, but also have sort of a successful life or a satisfying life or secure life. But here's the deal. Like when sin is in your heart, you have this conscience, and then if you know God, you have the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is sort of convicting you, it says in John, of sin and righteousness and judgment, and you're trying to like resist the spirit or quench the spirit and the spirit continues to pursue you so all of a sudden you feel like I'm being pursued there's there's something inside of me that's trying to reconcile the civil war going on in me I'm running and no one's pursuing me I'm at odds with myself I'm at conflict with myself I'm literally at war with myself and I've no one to blame but me because I've been making choices to welcome into my life wicked ways and evil practices and sinful behaviors and attitudes and then I'm expecting to live with a boldness and I I'm like that. I think we're in a world, nobody in our world is going to cause you to say, stop, stop. We got to diagnose this thing. We've got to do some inventory because something about the life you want and the life you're living are incongruous. They, they do not match. And until the life you want actually reconciles the behaviors that you're participating in, you're never going to experience the dream. You're never going to have that security in God and that satisfaction and fulfillment and work. You're just not going to have it. You're not going to feel that meaning in your life that you're chasing after. You're just going to keep chasing after it while you feel like something's chasing after you and you're going to be skittish and sheepish. You're not going to be bold and brave. So I want to to just kind of climb into this, this conviction of sin. I, I know it's an unpopular thing to think about. Probably when you're on vacation, you're like, I don't want to talk about sin. Nobody wants to talk about sin. In fact, even saying the word feels like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to tune me out. Everybody's going to turn this off right now. But I, I'm saying this for your own good. The Proverbs said that the wounds of a friend are faithful. That means a person that comes at you and says, I love you. And so I actually want to diagnose something that's preventing you from the healthy life that you desire, from the healed life that you desire. And unless you get that out, you're going to live with an infection in your spirit that affects your way of life, your quality of life. I love you. And so we have to go there. It actually says, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he disciplines all those that he calls children. So it's not loving for me as a pastor or any of you as parents or friends to see something going on in someone's life that is wickedness or guilt-inducing or shame-inducing and say, until we get that out, 
wanting to be bold in your life and confident and secure and satisfied or feeling successful and actually embracing that as meaningful, that's never going to happen while that stays in your life. We got to go get that out. We got to go dig that up and take care of that and eradicate that. But it was probably three weeks ago, I was on a date night with Heidi and it was like the week prior, I had come out of my dad's funeral and that was a push for several months and it's almost like the adrenaline of that and my soul was showing up and, and, and backfilling all my needs and I, I just felt like I had this adrenaline that was carrying me and helping me push through that time and I wasn't second guessing anything, I wasn't asking questions. I knew my purpose and everything in my being was going toward the direction of my purpose to be there for my dad, my mom, and my family um, to the end with my dad. But once that ceased, I noticed there were some gaps when the adrenaline sort of wore off and when the push toward that purpose faded. I remember coming back to work and certain things were fulfilling here, but I noticed on this sort of pain and pleasure continuum, things that would normally bring me pleasure were not bringing me pleasure. And there was a certain pain, and you could say that's part of grief, that there's these empty spaces um, inside of you that need to be reckoned with. And so grief, I think, was producing um, something that was causing the pain-pleasure continuum to be messed up. However, that's all balanced out. And so some of the pain I felt in my life, I felt like an absence of pleasure. And this is where sort of temptation came into my life. And I didn't notice it right away. It was, it was very cunning and crafty. And, but I just noticed I was having you know, trouble going to sleep. And so as many of you know, I've been, I've been breaking away from Ambien to help me sleep and from some of my benzos and my medica medications for uh, anxiety that I took for 10 years and I've been weaning away and I'm almost completely off all of them. Um, I was feeling like, man, just, just take an Ambien. It'll just be really quick. It'll be easy. You'll just go to sleep and you'll be knocked out. You won't be sitting here having these thoughts. You won't be just laying in bed with insomnia. And I could just feel that temptation. Like, man, I've worked too hard for the last seven, eight months to just, you know, cave in and go back to that and then to wrestle my way out of that um, full Nelson that I was in for a long time. And then it was kind of like, dude, that, that anxiety, that heaviness that you're feeling in your chest and the weight on your mind and the gravity of grief, it's just an easy, oh man, just take, take one of those Xanax, you know, you've got extra ones in there and take that Klonopin and just do what you need to do. And, and here's the thing, it's kind of like you deserve it. You've worked really, really hard. You, you need to reward yourself. You deserve this. And it was believable. I think this is a universal thing. I've heard this from so many people. It's almost like rewarding yourself 
for being a good boy and doing a good job or a good girl and accomplishing, you know, having a good attitude for a day or being really good with not eating for a while. Why don't you just binge? I mean, you had a really good past three days and it goes from binge purge and that's the way temptation is. And we're comfort creatures sort of looking for that comfort or that sort of immediate gratification to reward ourselves for, for being good, which is really, really strange. And so I felt this temptation to just go back to easy, um, easy comfort rather than drilling and saying, like, what, what's really broken inside of me? What's really wrong? And diagnosing that and getting sort of healing in that place and remedy at that place rather than just covering it up with something and dealing with it later. Um, I, I'm not a big drinker. I, I shared, I think it was four or five years ago that there was a time where that started to come into my life, never being drunk, but just feeling like at one in the afternoon, I'm thinking about, man, I can't wait to have a beer tonight. And then it was like, I want two. And, you know, then it was like, man, you got introduced to maple bourbon and brown sugar bourbon. I'm like, whoa, liquor's quicker. And you start to feel like that touches something inside that is soothing, but it's also medicating and it's a coping mechanism to sort of like dull the pain. Um, And it feels a little bit like pleasure. And man, I just felt like I want to drink. And I haven't felt that for so many years. Like, just I want to drink myself out of what I'm feeling. And there's something about the heaviness of the cultural issues in the world that I was feeling afresh and the pressure socially to comply and being a leader in this sort of civilization and not really being able to decipher what is actually going on, how I'm going to lead people in the future. That was just sort of trailing behind me like a, a stray dog as well, nipping at my heels. And so that heaviness was, I couldn't get away from it. It was worse when I wasn't doing something, like when I had free time and I was by myself I I just felt like I was telling Heidi last night it just felt like all these horse flies were just accumulating around me and I'm just swatting away I just I just couldn't and I knew there were just certain things that would just make them go away so yeah alcohol just became something that I'm like I can't go there but man do I want to go there and um then I noticed lust was there. It's like this immediate like rush of sort of adrenaline that I know that lust can give and just seeing like pornography and that's just something that it's like I don't have any desire. I love my wife. I've got a great family. I don't want that to come into my life and mess things up. And yet there was this desire to do what I know kind of that forbidden fruit does, which sort of gets that blood, you know, coursing through your veins and just makes you feel like a man without really being one. So that's the lie of it all. And that that kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, what is going on? And then I noticed... Like, I just was tired and, and exhausted, and I barely had done anything. It was like 10 in the morning. I could fall asleep standing up, and I just wanted to go home, and I wanted to sleep. And so this this thing of sloth, one of the deadly sins of just like, just go sleep through life. Just go home and take a nap and and just sleep all afternoon, and then you don't have to think about it, and you don't have to deal with it, and you don't have to see it, and you don't have to address it. Um, and so you, then you don't have to make hard decisions. Just, just 
just take a break, check out, punch out, go home and sleep. It's like, man, sleep became almost like this thought that I could not, I could not get away from the temptation to sleep my life away. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, resting, I needed rest, but this was different than just rest. This was, this was, I want to check out. I want to check out. And that sloth came in and almost a laziness, like just doing hard things was almost an insufferable thought. And I know this might seem strange because what I've heard from other people, especially on the weekends, is like, man, since you've come back from your father's passing, you've just been so bold and courageous and passionate. And that, that's the thing. It's, it's, that's all true. I'm really passionate about what's urgent. Like, I just feel like life is fearfully precious. And I want to, you know, I don't want to waste a, a second. I want to I wanna live um, while I'm alive. Um, there, there's something about that that's been awakened, but all this other stuff was there too. And I, I never want to be a leader that just allows you to see one part of my life and not the fight to be who I am. Because being who I am is blood-bought by Christ, but it's hard-fought by me. And anybody that wants to be a leader, it's, it's hard-fought. Paul didn't say at the end of his life, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the race for nothing. Like that was an expression that came out of, man, every day I fought the good fight. And I've been doing that lately. It's been easier in the last week since I opened up to Heidi um, a few weeks ago. But I just had to share with her just lust and drink and sleep and wanting to go back to medication. And I'm telling you, just getting on TikTok and YouTube and getting on the television and, and getting on Netflix. It's like all the algorithms that know exactly what I want and only give me what I want. That's a horrible thing when the algorithms are like, you don't have to work hard. We'll do all the heavy lifting for you. Here is the things you like and all the people that you like and the people that are like you and that's all you have to deal with. And man, I could have just sat and watched documentaries and episodes of things and movies and sports like just amusement which ah and muse is no thinking which is why amusement is that escape that feels good sometimes but when it goes beyond the line it's a temptation toward wasting your life and not thinking um so it's it's just all that stuff came in and then there were just attitudes of of anger just being angry at people who've hurt me or people who've abandoned me or people who said they were with me and, and weren't or people who've slandered me and, and I've heard through the grapevine different things and just a lot of that stuff was in me that bitter stuff and that was a poison inside of me that was only making matters worse I'm just telling you on the outside I, I, I could show up and I could produce and I could perform, but on the inside, it was dead man's bones. Kind of like Jesus said, it's just a whitewashed sepulcher. Um, and that's what I felt like. So I had to do, I at first is just admitting, man, I am under siege. I am being ambushed um, by the enemy. And Ephesians 6 is, is when the day of evil comes, take your stand. A lot of people feel like that day of evil is like when 
it's a deluge of temptation. It isn't just kind of nitpicking certain things and being flanked from this side. It's like I am being hard-pressed from all sides. And I told Heidi that night, and I mean, it's a tough conversation to tell your wife you're struggling with just lust. And But I, I just wanted to tell her so that I didn't just go and act upon all this stuff. And and that began to break loose some of what I believe were strangleholds that were becoming strongholds in my life. And um, that was so good. But boldness was at stake because on the one hand, I was living a bold life, but I could tell I was caving in on the inside. Like my integrity was in jeopardy. And I think that's all of us here. We want to live a bold life, but Satan's just sort of gnawing at our integrity and our character and it starts to cave in and we know the life everyone sees on the surface isn't going to last very long if this continues to go on and I'm just noticing a lot of people desiring like I want to be as bold as a lion I want that confidence back I I don't want to live in insecurity and fear my whole life I don't want to live vexed inside of my brain running when no one's chasing after me I want to get comfortable in my skin I want to embrace who God made me to be I want to be confident I want to be comfortable in my skin I want to be content with my life and yet it's evading me it's eluding me what's wrong with me I'm going out of my mind that's what was happening here. The wicked man, the guilty man flees, though no one's pursuing the righteous or as bold as a lion. We got to get at what's the wickedness in me? What is the temptation that's leading to the wickedness I'm acting upon? What's the stuff that's been there? And it's like, God, I want to live for you, but you can't touch this. You have all of my heart except this one room over here you can't go in. Um, that's mine. And I'm going to keep that for myself. And I'm going to manage that area of my sin. Almost like a functional alcoholic that you can't see their lives just falling apart and they're in the gutter. Um, but they're functional sinners. I've just seen a lot of Christians who are functional sinners. But over time, it starts to eat away your mind. And instead of being bold, you're just skittish and sheepish. And you can't even see it. But the people around you are noticing like something's, something's wrong, something's off. And it's kind of like the house of cards will come down at some point. So it's getting to that, that sin in our lives. And, and this happened throughout the Bible. I mean, first people on the planet, Adam and Eve, the minute they sinned, they were afraid. And so they hid it's like that's what we do. It's like the minute sin comes in our life, we don't need somebody to teach us how to hide. We don't need someone to teach us how to feel insecure and afraid. That just comes in the minute we break relationship with God. We say, God, I'm not going to do what you said. I'm going to disobey you and I'm going to rebel against your plan. I'm going to choose my own way. All of a sudden, we're just exposed, we're afraid, we hide, we cover up. It's happened from the beginning. I mean, you, then you see other people who have sinned and it's like they're losing their mind. Like Esau goes out, is really, really hungry. And in a moment where he just wants to just eat, when he wants to take that felt need and wants to satiate that hunger, he's just like, I will give you my birthright, the most precious possession of an oldest son, my blessing and my birthright. You can have that. 
if, if you'll just give me that lentil soup, if you'll just give me that porridge, for that bowl of porridge, man, I will give you what is precious and priceless. And it's like, man, in the moment, it feels like easily justified because it will satiate and gratify that immediate felt need. But in the long run, you give away what is just incomparably more precious. And we do that as Christians. We make these trade-offs and for an immediate sense of pleasure to cope with or cover up pain, we just are like, I'll trade communion with God, community with others, a sense of congruence in my own self where my insides and outsides are aligned. I'll do that for momentary pleasure. And it comes back and it bites us. Um, you see it with David. It's like the man after God's own heart. The minute he's just wandering on the roof, um, he doesn't go to battle where kings belong. If you read that passage and he sees Bathsheba and he gives into it and his life from that moment on, if you look at 1 Samuel, his life never was the same again. He just, murder was there, deceit was there. His family fell apart as kids were killing each other and, and incest was happening in his family. He was reeked with guilt. In fact, the end of his life, he just was so worried and afraid at the end of his life. It's the saddest thing ever because the wicked flee and run when no one's pursuing but the righteous are as bold as a lion and he just didn't stay in that place he let sin in his life and it just crushed him on the inside and Peter you see that he just follows God he denies Christ he weeps bitterly and then goes back to fishing because he doesn't feel worthy anymore. He's got that hung dog expression of shame and disgrace and he leaves and he's like, I just want to go alone. I don't want to be around anyone else. I'm not worthy. And it's like Satan just, just put his talons in him. Is like, you're mine now. And God had to come back to him and reinstate him, reintroduce him to his purpose and say, my grace is sufficient for you. I love you. Do you love me? And reconciliation took place. That's what God longs for today, for us to say, I'm going to leave my life of sin. And you know what it is. You know, God, you can have everything, but this one thing, I'm holding that on. That's my precious, my own, you know, it's sort of the ring of power in your life. And God's like, no, that's got to get out of here. If you want to be bold, and you want to make bold moves that lead to an influential life and a consequential life and eternity, that's got to go. You can't have both. I think James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, you know, with a tongue we, we bless God and curse man. Can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? Let it not be. God forbid. It, we can't have that double-mindedness in our life and expect to feel close to God and close to life. That's just not how it works. We'll be running scared. We'll be running in circles in our head. It's civil war under our chest and in between our ears. It was uh, interesting with the storms. Haven't they just been crazy? I, at our house, I don't think since we've been in it the last seven years, uh, we've had a deluge like we've experienced this last week that tested all the downspouts and all the drains. And one thing it tested is the drain that's in the cement uh, driveway in front of my garage that slopes down. And this drain is supposed to catch the water so it doesn't flood and go into my garage and be taken out with sort of a drainage pipe, that corrugated drainage pipe that takes it out to the side of the property and sort of dumps it into the woods. 
Well, it was flooding and it wasn't receding and it was going into the garage and it drove me crazy and I was the one who put in the corrugated drainage pipe and I'm like, where is it? I know it's along the side of, of the lawn, and, but I don't know how far back in, how far has the lawn receded as pricker bushes and weeds have sort of come out. So it literally, one day I was out there for two hours digging with a spade shovel, trying to find the end of that pipe that I knew was probably clogged because I'd blown the leaves off into the ditch year after year after year and it turned into compost and plugged it up. And I'm like, it's my fault. I didn't do year after year something. And slowly it just got more and more plugged up. And so and I was like, I got to find that. So one day I tried and I failed and it just was a horrible feeling, but I knew I had to get to where that pipe was clogged. I had to. So I went out the next day, couldn't find it again. My neighbor, Dan Cooper went out there with a leaf blower and he was just covered in mud, couldn't find it. And the next day I, I, I got to go find it. It rained again and it flooded the garage and it was a mess, absolutely a mess. And I went out and I started digging again for about an hour and a half. And all of a sudden I saw like water sort of spraying out like a little geyser. And I'm like, yes, I found it. And so I pulled it away and I cleared it out and it drained for a little while. And then it stopped and I looked up, you know, where the driveway was and it was still flooded. And I kind of put my hand over the drain and it wasn't draining out. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's plugged somewhere else. So I went up to the drain and I'm trying to actually put a snake through it and it wouldn't go through. And then it occurred to me that about a year and a half ago, we had a cable line for high-speed internet come down through, dredge through, cut through the lawn and put in the cable line and it hit me. They went right through that drainage pipe. But I don't know where that is in the lawn. So I had to start all the way down the lawn and dig a trench to dig up that pipe to find out exactly where um, that cut through that pipe and created the blockage. And I was sweating. It was hours out there digging this thing up to try to find that clog. Finally got up to where it was and sure enough it was plugged and, and there was a whole trench I dug out and when it came loose and I unplugged it, it was like this massive like flow of water down through that ditch off to the side. I still haven't filled it in and put in another pipe, but all of the flooding over here just was gone. It receded, it went down. It, it was such a great feeling, but I'm telling you there were days of just effort where I wanted to give up and like, forget it. It's just gonna flood, who cares? You know, there's nothing I can do about it. And it's like, no, I got to do the hard work to find out what happened here to get to the clog. And as I, you know, took the dirt off of the pipe, it was crushed in other places where a tree had fallen one time and crushed down and flattened it so that the opening was only that far. So it's so many places over the years where that thing had been crushed and was not wide open so that the rain could flow. And I only say this to tell you when I was out with Caleb and I was talking about why are we doing this and and you're gonna have to do hard things in your life someday, son. It, it's not all easy and you wanna you know, learn to do hard things because that's when life's satisfying. I was trying to teach him these things. He went in while I was digging things up and he went in and got two soda pops. And the reason he did that is because he knows he's not allowed to have um, 
sugar and he wanted to have one and wanted to give me one. So under the guise of caring for me and my thirst, he came out with two like bottles of orange pop. He's like, here you go, dad, let's just have a drink, you know, cause we're thirsty. I'm like, no man, dude, um, I don't need sugar. I, I need water. We need water. And he's like, oh, and he's like, doesn't sugar give you more energy? Cause we've told him you're over energetic because of the sugar intake. And I'm like, yeah, but it, it also makes you really, really tired. It's, it's not what your body needs for fuel. And so he went back in and got water. But I just was like, that's sort of the way it is. These little rewards. And then we were in the middle of something. Then we're going to drink sugar, which is going to make it like harder to actually have the strength you need to do the hard work, to get to the issue, to solve the problem. And that whole experience was like, man, there are, there are things in my life from the past and the present that I just got to do the hard work to dig it up to free up that relationship with God so that I can have a boldness that's actually more than just put on fake charisma on a weekend or just showing up and, you know, being what you need to be in a moment. But the lion's share of your life is not, um, that doesn't represent who you really are. That's not, that's not an accurate, accurate picture of the true reality of your heart. And to go in and that's what I'm encouraging for you and for me this next you know several hours in this weekend where we have time a lot of times on these weekends this is where we reward ourselves with giving into all the temptations whether it's drinking more than we should and getting drunk and sinning against the Lord whether it's you know having a relationship or a fling with somebody to reward yourself on a weekend and nobody will know and nobody will care I'm telling you the only person you're killing is yourself you become your own worst enemy and you are at war with yourself and you're wondering why can I not figure out the spiritual life? Why am I not, you know, surfacing above the fray? Why am I so crushed and vexed in my spirit? It's right here. The wicked man flees when no one pursues. They get messed up in the head. No one's chasing them and they're running around as if they're being chased. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's where boldness comes from. It's like, God, I'm right with you. I'm right with my fellow man. Um, I have all kinds of temptations, but I'm not giving into those. And when I do give into those, I, you know, excavate them and eradicate them from my life. And then I ask forgiveness and I repent and I come back to you. So many people need to do that today. You need to just stop in the middle of whatever you're doing and say, I can't do that anymore. I can't be that anymore. I can't keep swearing and cursing and, and telling dirty jokes and gossiping and expect to be close to God and expect to even be close to people. You're messing yourself up. You got to stop that thing and say, God, help me to keep digging as deep as I got to get to get to the crushed pipe that's disallowing that flowing living water to come from your heart to my heart to your heart to my heart to flow to the world. I want that living water to just billow up in me and spill out to other people, a cup that overflows. I got to get to the problem. And, and then come to you for the solution. And I just want to encourage you as we think about boldness heading into this weekend. Can you do an inventory of your heart? Can you listen to the Spirit saying that right there? Let Him shine a light on it. 
And he's not doing it because he hates you. And it's not like condemnation and judgment that's like wanting you to feel ashamed and to rub your nose in it. He's like, I want you to see that because I love you. I love you and I want to get that out of your life so you can be free and bold and brave so that you can lift up your head and and not be living with a skittishness because of sin, but with more security because you know me and I love you and you've cleaned out your closet and you're one with me. I mean, there's a psalm that says, if you regard sin in your heart, the Lord won't hear your prayer. I think it's Psalm 66, 18. It's like we harbor this stuff in our heart and we expect God to hear our prayers. And then we're like, God, why aren't you doing anything in my life? He's like, I want to do things in your life. Are you going to do anything in your life? Are you going to give your whole life to me? Are you going to keep like a part of it for yourself and give me the stuff you don't care about? Like, I want to come after and have the whole of you. Give me all your sins so that I can forgive it. And I'll give you my righteousness. And you will be a person that lives the abundant life. That's what I want for you today into this weekend. And that's my prayer. You want to make bold moves. You want to have a bold life. You got to get the wickedness out. When your conscience is afflicting you with guilt, you got to listen to that and say, God, I got to change my wicked ways. Come to you. Trust in you that you'll fill the voids in my life, that I don't have to run to all those easy um, ways to cope and mechanisms to cope with my pain to get momentary pleasure. I want you to be the pleasure of my life. Your love is better than life. Just like the song we sang, there's nothing better than you. And we can say that with our mouth and defy it with our lives. And what we want is, God, I want my mouth and my life and my heart to be congruent. That's so, as the psalmist said, search me and know my thoughts. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. That's what we want God to do. Search us, know us, try our hearts. If there's any wicked way, just, just give it to God. I say, I don't want to go back and get accountability and tell somebody. Just like I told my wife and I told my staff, this is my battle. These are my battles. These are my struggles. I don't want to do this to myself. I want to fight the good fight. I don't want to cave in in my character. I want to be right before God because I want to be as bold as a lion. So God, today as we move into the weekend, just press into our hearts. Help us to dig deeper the things that we've buried and the things that underneath what we've buried that are blocked inside of us and we don't know what's wrong and you're just trying to say, if you'll just let me dig that out and if you'll do the hard work to dig that out, we can get this thing flowing again. I I pray that your spirit will just, just touch the places inside of each one of us because we all have a different Achilles heel. We all have kryptonite that just weakens us that we're just we don't feel strong enough to resist temptation and to flee temptation so can you give us the strength god to put our finger on it and say i'm not just going to rearrange the furniture i'm going to completely rip out the walls and um, i'm going to let you do a full renovation of the house not just paint over things and not just put carpet over the cat pee and hope it goes away no we got to rip out stuff that uh, is contaminated in our life and do the hard work to address the real problem so that we can have real freedom. And you say, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we can be the bold lions you've created us to be. We love you, Jesus. Go with us into this beautiful weekend where we celebrate our independence in this beautiful country we live in. It would be a shame if living in a free country, we never became a free person in our heart. So make us free people uh, so that we can live in this free country um, with life and liberty and the pursuit of not just happiness, but holiness, God, for that is the kingdom way. We love you. And we want to honor you with our lives, Jesus. And it's in your name that we come. Amen.